0: Growing up, it seemed that one of the unofficial pastimes of kids everywhere was to spend warm summer nights gazing out at the stars. It didn't matter if it was during a camping trip or just going out into the backyard and lying in the grass. Heck, I bet some of you even learned how to use a telescope. It seemed to be practically a universal truth among all humans that we would turn our gaze upwards on those clear nights and peer into the ever-expanding cosmos at all the stars and planets light-years beyond the reach of our Earth's atmosphere. I am also equally sure that one of the first constellations that any person was able to find was the Big Dipper, otherwise known as Ursa Major. Ursa Major must be one of, if not the most famous constellation that modern culture has. Its influence can be found in the works of famous authors like Homer and Shakespeare, and even has a passing mention in the Bible. For thousands of years, People have peered up into the night sky and identified this mass of seven messier or astronomical objects together under the same image. Ursa Major is Latin and means great bear in English. Its ties to bears can be seen in several different cultures including ancient Greece. The bear has been a figurehead of many cultural stories and iconography in the Northern Hemisphere going back through most of written history. The large domineering mammal has become a permanent fixture in human civilization that we are going to explore today. Welcome to Mythozoology. everyone, my name is RJ Connors, and welcome back to Mythozoology, where each episode we delve into the myths, legends, and misunderstandings that surround the amazing animals that inhabit our world. Bears have a presence over a large portion of the world where all eight species reside. The presence can be felt in the way we live our everyday lives, like how the people of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan have electrified fences around their dumpsters to ward away any bears looking for an easy snack. They can also be seen in religions and stories passed down through humankind. To start, the eight species of bears are the Brown Bear, the North American Black Bear, the Polar Bear, the Asiatic Black Bear, the Andean Bear, the Sloth Bear, the Sun Bear, and the Panda Bear. I'm only going to focus on the Brown Bear in today's episode because I feel like there's enough that is specific to just this one species of bear that I can save talking about the other species for later episodes down the line especially the panda. Oh, don't worry, big guy, your day will come soon. The brown bear stretches over a staggeringly large range that reaches across several continents. It is found exclusively in the Northern Hemisphere in North America, Asia, and parts of Europe. Within this species, there are 14 extant subspecies of brown bear. These subspecies are the Eurasian brown bear, the Kamchatka brown bear, the East Siberian brown bear, the Himalayan Brown Bear, the Tibetan Brown Bear, the Usuri Bear, the Syrian Brown Bear, the Alaskan Brown Bear, the Dole Island Brown Bear, the Alaskan Peninsula Brown Bear, the Sitka Brown Bear, the Stikine Brown Bear, the Grizzly Bear, and the Kodiak Bear. The Atlas Bear and California Grizzly Bear were also subspecies but are now considered to be extinct. Brown bears are quadrupedal mammals covered in fur that range from a cream color to almost black. They prefer to live in wooded, mountainous areas and will make their homes by digging into the ground. These large holes are called dens. Brown bears are solitary by nature and will only be seen around other bears on special occasions. One such situation is the salmon spawning runs in the summer. During this time, The bears will congregate together in large numbers at their favorite fishing locations to catch and consume as many salmon as possible. This is all part of an effort to rapidly gain weight in anticipation of the coming winter. Speaking of eating, brown bears have a very large diet. They are omnivorous and will mostly consist off of nuts, berries, fruits, leaves and roots. They will also consume fish, as I previously said, and other forms of meat from small mammals all the way up to moose. Bears are very opportunistic by nature, not wanting to expend any more energy than necessary, so they will often opt out of actively hunting for live food when they can just forage instead. They will on occasions hunt, however. Brown bears are a fairly long-lived species with a lifespan ranging from 20 to 30 years in the wild. They can weigh upwards of 300 to 850 pounds and be as tall as 5 to 9 feet with males being on the larger end and females being on the smaller end of the scale. Their mouths contain 42 large teeth that are primarily used to grind and shred their food. Their main method of hunting is swiping with their large front paws. The brown bear has so much muscle in its front shoulders that one swipe from its mighty paw is enough to break an animal's bones. They can also run an impressive 35 miles per hour. When you put all the factors together, it's pretty easy to see that this is the top predator in every ecosystem it chooses to habitate. Most of the risk that a brown bear has will be while it is growing up and come from humans. Perhaps one of the most well-known things about bears is that they hibernate during the winter. This is certainly true for the brown bear. During hibernation, the average brown bear will lose close to 50% of their body weight. This is why they are so voracious in their appetite come salmon spawning season And the remainder of the fall thereafter. During the height of this, a bear will gorge on up to 90 pounds of food per day. During the winter, female brown bears will go into hibernation pregnant and give birth during the winter months. Her babies, typically up to three, will sustain themselves off of their mother's milk until the warmth of spring arrives. There are many myths that surround the brown bear and a good number of them have to deal with humans being safe around the animal. There are really two main ways you are going to find yourself on the wrong end of a bear attack. The first is if you get between a mother and her cubs. If you have seen Leonardo DiCaprio's movie The Revenant, this is what happens to his character. I've also heard that the ensuing attack is pretty accurate to what an actual bear attack would look like. This will happen because the mother feels that you are threatening her children and she will attack to protect them from you. The second type of attack is that the bear is surprised by your presence. You'll hear many ways to survive this situation, but I'll try to shed some light onto this. The first thing you should know is that running from a bear isn't going to accomplish a lot. Bears can run faster than you, so you wouldn't be able to get away. What you should do is not so clear, though. Your best defense is different from situation to situation and will require a reading of what's going on in the current moment. I know that this is hard, especially in a moment of crisis, so I'll say the best action you can take will happen before you get into such a dangerous situation in the first place. Alerting bears of your presence will keep them away as bears tend to avoid people. You can do this by singing, snapping twigs, and talking in groups. Many parks advise hiking in large groups on well-worn trails during daylight hours to keep yourself the safest. Another step you can take is to arm yourself with bear mace. Bear mace is more effective at keeping you safe than even a gun can be. Shooting a bear will not do much to slow down an attack, especially if your aim is not on point. According to Dr. Stephen Herrero, your chances of getting a serious injury from a bear attack actually double if you fire a rifle compared to using bear mace. Mace will be more effective at stopping a bear from reaching you and can shorten the duration of an attack as well. Just make sure to start spraying before the bear even gets close. Oh, and don't stand downwind from the spray if you can help it. On a lighter note, It is commonly believed that a standing bear is a bear that is getting ready to attack or is being aggressive. This is not true. A bear does this to get a better perspective of its surroundings. Standing up lets it see around further, and it can get more smells from higher up as well. This misconception more than likely came from Hollywood, once again. They really don't do their homework out in California, huh? Aside from looking cool and scary, The probable cause for Hollywood using this is because it is an easily trained behavior in bears that can be called up by their trainers. Kind of like your dog being able to shake your hand or bark on cue. Many think a bear cannot run downhill. This also isn't true. A bear's habitat is varied in elevation, so this would be a severe mistake in the species evolution if they couldn't run downhill. Bears also have excellent eyesight, very similar to our own, and can see at night too even though there are those that may speak to the contrary. One myth that has made the rounds is that bears are attracted by a woman's menstruation. We can thank the movie Anchorman for making this myth so widespread. While many studies have dispelled this myth, it is still recommended to use tampons over pads. Honestly, you're more likely to get bears attacking you because of food you may be carrying. This is why many campsites give you a bear pole to keep your food out of their grasp while you sleep. Stories of bears in human culture have existed back thousands of years. Why don't we start where we started this episode, the story of Ursa Major? The story hits its stride the same way that a majority of Greek tales start. Was Zeus having sex with someone or something he shouldn't? This time, it would be Castillo. Castillo was a nymph who had sworn a vow of chastity to the goddess Artemis. Of course, Zeus laid eyes on her and fell in love. The two had a son together who they named Arcus. When Artemis found out about the pregnancy, she had Castillo banished, but it was Hera who struck the final blow. Angered by her husband's infidelity, she transformed Castillo into a bear. That was how she stayed for 15 years, wandering the woods until she came upon her now-grown son. Afraid of the bear standing in front of him, Arcus drew his spear, ready to attack. Zeus saw this and acted quick, sending both of them up into the sky where Arcus became the constellation Butus or the herdsmen. And Castillo became Ursa Major. Much like eagles and lions, bears were held in high regard in many different cultures throughout the centuries. Looking at the animals, it's not too surprising to see why. Proof of this can be dated all the way back to Paleolithic times, or around 50,000 years ago. Archaeologists have discovered evidence of a tribe that appeared to have worshipped bears as some sort of god. Celtic culture venerated the bear goddess Ardia. She was, like a mother bear, fiercely protective and closely related to Arthur, whose name and emblem both are used to represent the animal. Vikings would often invoke the spirit of the bear, hoping to invoke strength and fury. They would even don bear skins in hope that it would help them in battle. These warriors were called berserkers, a word that in Norse roughly translates to bear shirt. Due to the bear's penchant for hibernating, it takes on the role as the keeper of dreams and keeper of medicine in many Native American cultures. The bear is widely considered to be one of the most powerful totems. On November 14, 1902, Theodore Roosevelt went on a bear hunting trip down in Onward, Mississippi. For much of the day, Roosevelt and his hunting party had no luck, not even spotting a single bear. It wasn't until the third day that other members of the party had at last spotted an old bear that the hunting dogs had tracked down and attacked. Unfortunately, Roosevelt was nowhere to be seen. What were they to do? One of Roosevelt's assistants, Holt Collier, summoned him to where they had cornered the bear and tied it to a tree. He invited Roosevelt to shoot and slay the bear. Theodore, however, refused to do it. He considered it unsportsmanlike to take down an animal that was restrained. However, Seeing as the bear was already injured, Roosevelt ordered for the animal to be put down. News of this incident spread through all the country's newspapers. This wasn't just some hunter. This was Theodore Roosevelt, the big game hunter. Clifford Berryman even drew a political cartoon depicting this scene that spread like wildfire. This incident forever linked Theodore Roosevelt with bears. Elsewhere, in Brooklyn, New York, a local candy shop owner by the name of Morris Mitchum saw the original comic in the newspaper and came up with an idea. He took two stuffed bear toys that his wife had made and put them in a shop window, dubbing them teddy bears after Theodore Roosevelt's nickname. The teddy bear was instantly popular and sold very well. Mitchum got Roosevelt's permission to keep using the name and started to mass produce the bears in order to keep up with their rapidly increasing popularity teddy bears burst into the international market starting with the Steiff company in Germany. Steiff is widely considered to be one of the premier stuffed animal companies in all of the world. They are easily identified by the yellow tag that is buttoned onto the toy animal, a vast majority of the time in their ear. This is possibly where Beanie Babies got their marketing inspiration from when it came to their tags, although their product's durability was far inferior. Getting back on point, Margaret Steiff had started making her name by sewing stuffed elephants, but eventually made her way to producing other animals, one of which would be the bear. In 1903, an American wandered by her shop and saw the bears for sale. She made a large order, calling them teddy bears. The name stuck with Margaret Steiff, and calling a stuffed bear a teddy bear spread across the globe. When it comes to mythical animals, the hominid is easily the most well-identified in human culture. You can hear part of the history of this in my earlier episode on coelacanths. The one that I want to talk about a little more in depth today is that big white hulk that skulks the Himalayan mountains, known as the Yeti. The Yeti, or abominable snowman, is a cryptid that lives in the mountains of Asia. It is said to be a bipedal creature that is covered in dark grayish or even sometimes reddish hair and can weigh between 200 to 400 pounds. On average, they are claimed to be about 6 feet tall, coming in shorter than its American cousin, the Bigfoot. While many depictions of this creature, from Rudolph all the way to Monsters, Inc., give this creature white fur, this was probably done as many sketches depicting the Yeti tend to show the beast covered in snow, thus giving his coat a whiter appearance. There is no hard evidence of a confirmed Yeti. However, Yetis may indeed be real, just not in the way that many people think it is. I'm sure if you've been following along, you can see where this is heading. Just slow down, though. At least pretend to let me walk you through it. As far as solid, hard evidence goes, a vast majority of Yeti sightings are just hearsay, visual reports that amount to nothing more than a person's account on a piece of paper. Anytime a piece of hard evidence was produced, it was quickly debunked as fake or misidentified. In 2017, a group of researchers gathered nine samples of Yeti hair that were submitted by self-proclaimed Yeti trackers, and analyze them to see if they matched any known species in their databanks. Of the nine hairs, eight came back being from a bear. Most commonly, the Himalayan brown bear. The last hare was a dog hair. for those who were curious. Even though the yeti, as many of us envision it, may never be confirmed to exist, maybe we shouldn't give up hope. Instead, I suggest we shift our focus from this cryptid being a mythical creature to what it actually could be. All of our legends start from some grain of truth, no matter how small. That's how the best stories spread. They tend to have at least a little bit of sincerity to them. Much in this fashion, if we look at the sightings of the Yeti, we can easily place the Himalayan brown bear in its place. A large hairy beast that trudges along the mountainsides of Asia that can stand on two legs. In the harshest of storms, it's not surprising that explorers might mistake this animal for a creature of near-mythic proportions. Characteristics of bears in pop culture truly run the gambit, from being cuddly best friends all the way to dangerous killing machines. For comparison, think of Winnie the Pooh compared to the bear from the movie The Revenant that we discussed earlier. Heck, sometimes we even see this dichotomy within the same story. Just look at movies like Brave and Brother Bear. Brown bears have had an active role in American pop culture specifically. To go along with properties I already mentioned, we have titles like the Berenstein Bears, Countrytime Bears, Paddington Bear, and Bear in the Big Blue House, just to name a few more. But one bear stands above all the rest in his importance, not only among Bear's influence on our modern culture, but what he did for animation as a whole. Let's talk about Yogi Bear. Yogi Bear first appeared as a segment on the Huckleberry Hound Show in 1958. By 1960, his popularity had garnered him his own show, and he has been a mainstay of the Hanna-Barbera canon ever since. Yogi gets inspiration for his name from the New York Yankees baseball star, Lawrence Yogi Berra. Many of his classic cartoon shorts star him and his friend Boo Boo and their various adventures inside Jellystone Park, which is a play on the real-life location of Yellowstone National Park. Hanna-Barbera really loves their puns, huh? Many of these adventures center around the pair of bears trying to steal food in the form of picnic baskets from the unsuspecting visitors to the park, much to the chagrin of park ranger John Francis Smith. Yogi's birthday is September 9th. During his long presence on TV and in children's movies, Yogi has gone far and done a wide array of things, from leading an athletic team to actually making it up to space. Yogi has truly done it all. Just please, don't watch the live-action movie. It's, it's just bad. One of Yogi's biggest contributions came in the form of what his character design did for animation as a whole. In the late 1950s, animation studios wanted to create content for the burgeoning television market, specifically aimed at children. The largest problem was that animating cartoons was extremely expensive, as everything had to be done by hand. Hanna-Barbera found incredible shortcuts in this process by reusing previously drawn animation over and over again. The most common example of this and often the most satirized is the looping backgrounds. Many times in a chase sequence, or whenever the focus on the screen is on stable characters on a dynamic background, Hanna-Barbera would loop background images together one after the other, reusing the same three or so images to create a sense of movement while using limited resources. This cut down greatly on animation costs as they would get away with using far fewer background drawings. The second way they could cut cost was by limiting the movement of characters. Using still characters was easier and cheaper than having to draw for every motion the character made. But the problem was that for a character like Bugs Bunny, you have to draw a completely new animation every time just because of mouth movement or because the character turned his head. Enter Yogi Bear. When you first look at Yogi, not much seems to particularly stand out. He's a brown bear that walks on two legs, has cartoonish features, and wears I had to give him a more anthropomorphic look but have you ever wondered why yogi wears a tie and collar but no shirt in here lies the answer to cutting even more cost on animation by giving yogi a collar you effectively cut his body into two pieces you have the head and neck and then the rest of his body the collar creates a clear divide between the two now you can just animate the head talking and moving without having to reanimate the rest of the character's body you see When you dissect a character like this, you no longer need to worry about how the neck would move as the head turns, or how speaking could affect body movement, because the tie-in collar split it off and give a clear cutoff for where movement is expected to stop. As you can expect, this dramatically reduced costs and made Hanna-Barbera the front-runner in the early television animation market, being able to put out more episodes of more shows quicker than any other studio. Just go back and look at many of Hanna-Barbera's early designs. Many characters are cut off by something they wear right around the neckline. From Yogi's tie, to Wilma's pearls, to Scooby's collar. These techniques pioneered the way for future animation endeavors for years to come. I guess when it comes to Yogi's character design, he really is smarter than the average bear. For a more detailed account of this, check out the short video on YouTube titled The Collar by Movie Bob. He does a much better job explaining this, and is where I got most of my information from this story from. Bears as a whole species are considered least concerned by the IUCN, but that doesn't mean that their subspecies aren't in danger or that they don't need protecting. More and more, bears are entering into areas that are heavily populated by humans. This is for a number of factors that I'm sure sound familiar to anyone who's listened to a couple episodes of this show. A greater human impact on their range and deforestation are pushing bears closer to us and vice versa. While many bears mean no harm to us, and are only looking for food to survive off of, a lack of resources is forcing them to wander out into neighborhoods and towns in search of food. Groups like the European Outdoor Conservation Association are looking to help combat this. The ELCA Brown Bear Conservation Project looks to implement nature conservation species protection projects, maintain endangered populations of wild animals and their habitats, and promote cross-border cooperation with experts as well as the implementation of large-scale projects. The EOCA works to help populations of brown bears in northern Spain by increasing food supply by planting 6,000 fruiting trees, reducing persecution of brown bears and poaching, and educating children on the importance of bears. For more information on this project or any of the other conservation projects or how you can help, check out outdoorconservation.eu. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mythozoology. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or Apple Podcast, and leave a rating while you're at it. You can find the show on Facebook at Mythozoology Podcast. And if you have any questions or want to tell me about your favorite constellation story, you can email the show at Mythozoology at gmail.com. Well, that's all for now, but be sure to check back soon when the next shiny new episode comes flying by. Until then, be well and keep learning. How? How did you get in here?